This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The deadly coronavirus is spreading in China and other places. The LCMS has missionaries operating in those countries. How should faithful Lutherans respond to such a threat? Martin Luther himself addressed this very issue. Regional Director for Asia, the Reverend Charles Ferry, and Lutheran Witness Managing Editor and former Communications Manager for the Asian Region, the Reverend Roy Askins, and I discussed this very topic on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. A law requiring abortion and medical providers to cremate or bury fetal remains passed the state Senate yesterday in Utah, one of several states considering similar measures that pro-abortion advocates say stigmatize the procedure. The proposals come after the U.S. Supreme Court last year upheld a similar Indiana law signed by then-Governor Mike Pence. Supporters say the requirements, which also apply to miscarriages at medical facilities, would be more dignified and create space if people need to grieve. Similar bills regulating the disposal of fetal remains have been introduced in six other states, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. According to the Guttmacher Institute, a research group that supports abortion, two of those, Pennsylvania and Ohio, have also passed through at least one chamber. The remains of the 2,411 unborn babies hoarded by abortion doctor Ulrich Klopfer will be given a proper burial today, just as Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill promised last year. Curtis will be offering remarks on behalf of the state of Indiana and will be available following services to discuss the status of the investigation. A former nurse testified before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday that some babies are born alive during failed abortions and left to die, something that would be remedied if the anti-infanticide bill becomes law. The Judiciary Committee also heard from an expert neonatologist and the director of life, culture, and women's advocacy groups of the Family Research Council. One of the highest-paid professional athletes in the NFL has encouraged his fans to read the Bible, a milestone the player recently announced he'd achieved. On Twitter, Kirk Cousins, quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, wrote, quote, It took me more than two years, but I just finished reading through the entire Bible for the first time. Definitely recommend it. Cousins' suggestion was well-received by many of his online followers, including teammate C.J. Ham. Along with Cousins and Ham, New England Patriots tight end Benjamin Watson has been open about his faith. It's become standard practice for U.S. corporations to assure employees of support regardless of race, gender, or sexual orientation. Now there is an intensifying push to ensure that companies are similarly supportive and inclusive when it comes to employees' religious beliefs. More than 20% of the Fortune 100 have established faith-based employee research groups, this according to an AP examination. There's a high-powered conference taking place this week in Washington aimed at expanding those ranks. A few companies have long established faith in the workplace program, such as Arkansas-based Tyson Foods, which deploys a team of more than 90 chaplains to comfort and counsel employees at its plants and offices. That program began in the year 2000. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi. 
I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. No. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. Good day and welcome to World Lutheran News Digest. I'm host Kip Allen. If you've been following the news, you'll notice that there's something called coronavirus that has been sweeping Asia and now other parts of the world as well. well what's happening and what is the responsibility of a Christian, especially a Lutheran, in fighting and staying and helping in the case of an epidemic or pandemic. I have with me two very special guests today. I have the Reverend Charles Ferry and the Reverend Roy Askins, who both have a lot of experience in Asia. Could you two? Okay. Uh, Pastor Ferry, introduce yourself and what your position is. Hi, Kip. My name is Charles Ferry. I serve the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as the regional director for Asia. So it makes me responsible for the people and the programs and the personnel that uh, we have serving our church body over in the 20 countries that make up the Asia region. And you're based in uh, Formosa or I Taiwan, excuse absolutely. me. Absolutely. Formosa is the classic name, but uh, nowadays known as uh, as the Republic of China or colloquialized Taiwan. So our family uh, lives in Jai, Taiwan, which is in the, the south of the island, right across the Taiwan Strait from the People's Republic of China. And Roy, you spent a lot of time in Hong Kong, as I recall. I did. So uh, I'm Roy Askins. I'm the new managing editor of The Lutheran Witness. But before that, I was uh, living and serving as communications manager for the Asia region. And uh, in that role, I lived for two years in Hong Kong and then moved to Taiwan with Pastor Ferry, uh, who was my boss at the time, and uh, lived there for about a year and a half. Okay, well, I want to kick it off on a, a, a little bit here on an article that I have been reading. It's, it's in the uh, Christian Times. It's called, Is It Faithful to Flee an Epidemic? And What Martin Luther Can Teach Us About Coronavirus? Now, also, I have a little bit of a personal experience in this. My mother uh, was in St. Louis back in uh, right after World War One, and that was when the, the Spanish flu, the pan, last pandemic, swept through the world. And between 1918 and 1919, more people died from that than were killed in the First World War. Now, my grandfather, her father, happened to be a Lutheran minister. And uh, what he did was he stayed in St. Louis, but sent the family up to St. Paul, where the flu had not yet been reported. So there was a question there. Stay where, stay where it is, but protect your family or what? I don't know. So let me ask you, gentlemen, uh, what Luther said about that and what's going on in Asia right now, especially with our missionaries over there. So I actually looked into the uh, Luther's article and kind of this article you're referring to in the Christian Christianity Today. Before we uh, 
get into those, let's kick it over to Pastor Ferry to kind of give some context for what's going on in Taiwan and kind of the background for how you guys are dealing with it uh, in Taiwan. Well, it's been interesting. Taiwan hasn't been hard hit by this uh, particular virus that's come over. Um, we have had uh, about 10 or 11 documented cases as of the, the current moment that have arrived in Taiwan, but there's actually quite a bit of, uh, of travel, transient travel between Taiwan and the, the mainland, China. A lot of people have uh, family, relatives, business connections, all those kinds of things. And Taiwan and, and greater China in general still bears the scars of the SARS virus that was around some years ago. And they learned some hard lessons through that. And it is not uncommon, as you see on, uh, in media reports on, on Asia, to see people in surgical masks just in general daily transit, even before all of this came up. I think what's, uh, what's changed nowadays is just an amplification of that. You see more people wearing masks. And in fact, when I flew out of Taiwan just last week, uh, I was pretty much the only person that I could see in the airport not wearing a surgical mask. They really have become commonplace. And in fact, um, in most places in Taiwan now, according to my family, who I just talked to this morning, they're almost impossible to get. Um, they have just been sold out completely, and they're rationing them now. Um, families are allowed to have two per week. So you, you see a lot of that, but they're very cognizant of the dangers of spreading viruses. Um, and so a lot of things are cleaned and disinfected on a daily basis, and they take these things very seriously. There's a, There was actually a report, so a couple of things on your, your travel over from Taiwan. I was reading here recently that the U.S. government has now banned all travel from foreign nationals coming from China into the U.S., and even U.S. citizens can be detained coming from China for up to 14 days uh, in uh, quarantine uh, to see if they're, they're infected with the virus. Um, but yeah, the, the face mask also is interesting because I was reading there are American families now sending face masks to their American uh, uh, children or friends uh, in China because and in Taiwan as well because they're just so hard to get a hold of. Well, one of the problems I think that uh, we as a world are dealing with is the Chinese government the, from the People's Republic. They are perhaps not being as forthcoming as they might be. There are reports coming out now that there are mass arrests that the uh, that the Chinese government now is actually arresting suspected people who have the uh, who may have the disease and are incarcerating them. So, this may be perhaps worse than we think, or we just don't know. You know, it's it's interesting. So, uh, getting back to so you had this article that was written by this this uh, young I believe is a young lady young man about um, about China and and this this. This author, her family is in China, they're doctors, but this author is in the U.S. working in, at, I think, studying at the uh, Duke Divinity School and talking about uh, what's the responsibility for her family as they're living in China. And she, she goes to this article from Luther. And in this article from Luther, he talks about those, uh, see, he breaks it out in a number of different ways, but one of the articles, uh, things he talks about is how there were people at his time, as they were dealing with bubonic plague there in Wittenberg, who were sick and then wouldn't tell anybody, intentionally wouldn't tell anybody. And they would go around and infect other people, hoping that it would free them from the disease, that by passing it along, they wouldn't get sick. Or, he says, because they were wicked persons in typical Luther language, uh, they just wanted to see how much mayhem they could spread. And his suggestion was that the government uh, give them to Jack the Hangman and uh, and punish them as, as murders, uh, which 
which I just thought was really fascinating that that he would go there. But uh, of course, you see the Chinese government trying their best, doing their best to to contain this, especially if they're people who don't realize it or who who are refusing to report that they actually have the illness and the disease. And of course, China is a huge country geographically. And uh, people are scattered all over that. And of course, it's the most populous country in the world. Getting the word out to everyone, making sure that the protections are in place, protecting themselves, the Chinese Communist government perhaps also acting, trying to save itself from from this. Mm -hmm. People uh, get crazy when things like this happen. Well, and, and also, I mean, it's pretty clear that in there, as we look at the studies and the reports, that the, especially in the Wuhan province, the Chinese government is very overwhelmed. I think there's something like 30,000 cases now in China that are reported, um, over 800 deaths, and, and the, the medical system right now really appears to be overwhelmed as they try to deal with this. Well, Pastor Ferry, what advice do you give to our missionaries who are operating in that area who are in danger of this virus? Our missionaries are taking every precaution. We have not evacuated uh, any personnel yet. Um, of course, any time that our people feel unsafe uh, or that their primary vocations as uh, husbands and wives and mothers and fathers uh, take precedence, that they would want to remove their, their family to a, a different place for a while, they certainly have that option available to them, and none of them have, have taken that option yet. Um, we're in regular contact with our people that are, are posted and sent to Greater China, and they are being very careful with disinfecting, washing their hands, taking uh, every normal precaution that you would, as well as restricting their own travel as well, uh, so that they don't unnecessarily expose themselves to, to various things. And some of it really has been taken off of their plate anyway, because the government has shut things down. Schools uh, and other public gatherings and places, many of them have been closed completely by forcible order. Vacations and breaks have been extended, so there just aren't that many things going on at this point anymore either. Uh, we just had one person that did a little bit of travel, and they ended up sequestering themselves by government demand uh, for two weeks in their own flat um, so that they could, they could self-monitor. Um, so we do have those things going on as well. Well, one of the problems, I think, uh, not necessarily a problem, just an observation here, is uh, the People's Republic of China, which has its own laws and, and restrictions. Then there's Hong Kong, which is semi-autonomous, and yet they've got a, a border also with the mainland. And then, as you explained earlier, Pastor Ferry, there's a great deal of, con of contact between the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China. So there's a danger here in this in the spread. Well, it's a, it's a very delicate balance in a lot of ways because, of course, Hong Kong and Macau having been turned back over to the People's Republic of China and in the process of being reintegrated into into one country but with different systems. Uh, and we could talk all day about the relationship between Taiwan and the People's Rep Republic of China. But there's a lot of interdependency that's there, um, both commerce and family. Uh, they rely on each other for, for imports and exports. Um, they need one another. And so the, the whole idea of sort of cutting off the borders anywhere just makes life much more difficult. And I think what we're seeing, too, is it's actually hampering relief efforts and just information sharing. And, of course, the, the Internet in the People's Republic of China is not a free thing at all. And it's constantly being monitored and censored. And so the whole idea of getting out information, how bad is it, what has worked, what hasn't, 
all gets impacted by these by these factors. Now, I understand the U.S. government and I think the World Health Organization have offered the Chinese whatever aid we can give them. Have they responded? The Chinese have welcomed officials from the World Health Organization. I think they have received the offers for help from the United States, but right now, considering the ongoing trade war and the the pride issues that are at work on both sides of the issue, um, there have not been, to my knowledge, any overtures of help from the U.S. that have been officially accepted. Um, other than what Pastor Askins mentioned with just people sending in things on their own. Um, but uh, at least China is is welcoming the help that's being offered from the international community, um, even though some countries continue to, to just close off their borders and, and hunker down. Well, the Chinese government has been has been uh, clamping down on, uh, on churches, on uh, Christians in uh, China. Will the epidemic change this relationship? I'm, I'm thinking specifically because here in the States, the churches are the main are the main uh, dispersal of uh, relief efforts. I think FEMA says something like 80% of all relief efforts go through churches. And I'm wondering if this is this case as well in the uh, People's Republic. Well, and that's certainly our prayer that the Lord would use this terrible plague, if you want to call it that, um, to bring good out for the for the sake of the proclamation of his word uh, in its truth and purity. And we certainly have seen that in history. You look back to the, the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami and the wonderful good that came out of that as even um, staunchly Muslim communities in places like Banda Aceh, Indonesia, opened their borders and were struck by the love uh, and the outpouring of mercy that came from Christians and churches um, all over the world. And that gave us opportunities to work in those places that we never would have had before. So that's our prayer in all of this, that the Lord is going to use this as he does um, to work what he will and to allow his word to have free course so that it can go out and do what he promises it will do. A few years ago, I actually interviewed some missionaries who were involved in the relief efforts in Indonesia. And uh, they they told me that uh, when things calmed down a little bit, several of the Muslim clerics, some of the senior clerics came up to them and said, why are you helping us? We're not Christians. And the response is, we are. And that's the question that we work to get. And that's sort of the, the goal of all of this is to have the opportunity to confess to confess the truth of why we are doing this, um, and then to be able to to give them not only the gifts that that help in the worldly sense, but the only thing that can help eternally, which is, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What can we as Christians, Lutherans here in the United States, do to help the situation? I think the first and foremost thing that we that we hope that the church will continue to do is to pray to the Lord of the Harvest um, and to uh, to the God of all grace that He will work through His people that He will give us opportunities to be able to speak that word where He places us in our vocations that we can speak to the hope that is within us as a gift from Him uh, and then that He will give us then the the corresponding courage to take advantage of those opportunities and to have that word that He has placed within us be able to be confessed out of our mouths uh, and to be placed in to the ears of, of those around us. Is there a way that we can get relief supplies to them? Or at least to Hong Kong or to Taiwan if they request it? 
I'm not sure. I mean, I know that some families are sending things in, as I mentioned earlier, to sending yeah. masks and whatnot to family members. Um, I'm not sure what would be the if there's a process for getting those relief supplies into China or Taiwan. I can't think of anything immediately. Right now, the, probably the best way would be um, if people feel uh, compelled to do that and would like to share their generosity. Um, the Asia region has a mercy budget um, that would be used for some of those things. So we certainly would welcome contributions to the Asia region mercy uh, and the people at the International Center can help you do that. How, how can I'm sorry. How can people uh, contact the uh, the center? The uh... so you go to the uh, international.lcms.org website, and yeah. there will be a project on there for um, uh, Asia Region Mercy, and there should be a click a button they can click on there that'll either take them to a giving page or give them more in, information on how to to donate. And it might just be calling the the uh, international center here in St. Louis. Uh, or it might actually have a, an actual form where they can yeah. they can donate. Well, you were about to make a point, I believe. Yeah, I was also going to say part of what we can do here in the U.S. is uh, prepare for helping our own neighbors here in the U.S. One of the other things that uh, mm. reviewing the CDC website is they do expect more person-to-person cases, spreading of cases here in the U.S. So being ready to serve our own neighbor and have have spent some time thinking about uh, what it looks like in our own circumstances. If our own friends or family or congregations uh, come down with this, how do we respond and how do we care for our neighbor in need in those circumstances? And what should we do? Well, that's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Luther's recommendation is really based, as Pastor Ferry said earlier, on your vocation. He says pastors have a duty and an obligation to stay even in the midst of uh, this disease. Uh, so it, the, when Luther wrote this in 1527, the bubonic plague was coming through Wittenberg, and Elector John had told him to leave. And being Luther, he doesn't like being told what to do, right? Uh, he stayed, and he said, no, I have a duty and obligation to provide pastoral care for those who are are sick and ill. And he said, so if you have a duty and an obligation, you should stay. However, he said, if you have a weak conscience and are unable to do so, uh, you can't stay because you just you can't handle it. Well, as long as you provide somebody else who can provide these resources, it's okay for you to go. And he, he, he mentions this about all sorts of different people. Government officials, he says, also have a duty and an obligation to stay to make sure that the people are provided for. Um, you know, businesses, if, if their food is needed, these type of things have a duty and obligation to care for their neighbor. Um, if by weakness of faith, they have to leave as long as they provide somebody else to care for them, uh, that's something certainly that they can do. It's also important to realize that part of our vocation as as husbands and wives and and, uh, and those who care for children, I'm thinking Pastor Ferry has six children, I have seven children. Uh, part of our duty is also to care for our family. So um, as you mentioned earlier, I, th- I believe your grandfather sent his children away, his family mm-hmm. away, while he stayed to care and minister for those in need. And I certainly think that that's an appropriate action where we might send our families away to a safe place while we stay and continue to ensure that the proclamation of the gospel continues and that people are prepared to die uh, to, to die in the faith. And Luther was very, uh, very very strong on the concept of vocation. And uh, I, I think a lot of people, especially non-Lutherans, don't quite get this. Could uh, either of you go into this a little bit? It, it is truly one of the, the gifts that Lutheran theology brings to the world, that clarity that is the vocation, the, the callings from God. 
Um, and of course, you know, Luther makes the, the the famous connection there that it's it's just as well and proper and pleasing in the sight of God um, for a mother to be changing a diaper. Um, and I, I continue to remind my wife it was it was the mother that he talks about <laughs> changing the diapers, not the father. But even when a father is changing a diaper, that this is pleasing in the sight of God because you're living out your vocations. And so we uh, we often look at things in that light, and we encourage other people to do that too. That it may not be your calling to go overseas and live in Taiwan at this or any other point in time, but the Lord has placed you in your vocations as friend and neighbor and worker and student um, for his own purposes. And so you have opportunities in those vocations that I never will as a pastor or a missionary. Um, and so how can you serve faithfully in those vocations in whatever circumstances you are uh, in, in that place at that time um, and in those particular uh, settings. And Luther will actually even talk about in this article, he talks about how you even have a vocation to your neighbor. We don't always think about this. Obviously, you think about vocation, responsibility as father, vocation, responsibility as, as husband or wherever you're serving. But he says even neighbors have a vocation or responsibility to their neighbors. So if you can't, you know, your neighbor has the, the, the coronavirus and they're ill and they've got no one to care for them, you have actually a duty to stay and care for that neighbor uh, because that's you, know, you have this relationship, this interaction with them. And then that gives you also then the opportunity to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, if that's something that you're able to do. So it's really, I mean, thinking about our vocations can be, on the one hand, a bit frightening, uh, but also on the other hand, uh, a great blessing. Well, Jesus never promised that following him would be easy. That's right. But the reward is worth it. Gentlemen, we're coming at the last minute. Uh, any final thoughts on this disease on uh, the situation, uh, how people are looking at it from Asia and how we should handle it here? I think just a word from me uh, on behalf of our, our international workers in Asia, just a word of gratitude to the church for being concerned, uh, for continually remembering them in prayer and with their uh, incredible generous support in so many ways. There is very clear to me that uh, our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod loves her missionaries. Um, and that is a, a wonder and a joy, especially in this day and age. So just a word of thanks uh, for that kind of partnership uh, in our, our various uh, roles that we've been given. I don't have much to add. I just want to thank you, Kip, for the opportunity to come on and talk about this and, and, and uh, this, this article. And I know that you're going to be following it with the Lutheran Witness mm -hmm. and, of course, our other publication, The Reporter, mm -hmm. will we'll be keeping that up. And we, of course, have our websites, the LCMS mm -hmm. website and others. So we'll be keeping people abreast of what's going on. Yes, indeed. And we pray for God's mercy. Gentlemen, thank you so much for appearing on the program. Thank you. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.